Harmony! Woo! Woo! You guys are hopped up today, huh? All right. Good. Everybody doing good? Yeah, all right. Look at your neighbor. Give him a woo. All right. Just, it's, good. it's good to woo early in the morning, all right? Hey, hey uh, I'm Kent Wagner. I'm the lead pastor here. I'm so, so thankful you guys have joined us for church. I wanted to let you know, did you guys get one of these, the orange flyer? Did you guys get one? If you didn't, you need to find one. I'll give you, you want this one, James? You, uh, here you go. Come on up, buddy. I'll, see, look at how, this is how we work. All right, thank you. Merry Christmas. Yeah, give it up for James. All right. Uh, that, is, that flyer is specifically about a men's breakfast that we're having this Saturday. It will be at, yeah, woo, all right. Ladies, this is your chance to kick him out of the house, all right? So give him a swift one and send him up here. We're going to have biscuits and gravy, eggs, all kinds of goodness. So come and get it. Uh, we are also raffling a shotgun at it and several other prizes. So be sure to come, put your name in for the raffle, all that kind of stuff. Bring a guy with you. I think that'd be fantastic for you to bring a guy with you. Uh, we're going to try to do these quarterly. So anyway, excited about that. We have some stuff coming up for the ladies too. I just am not a part of planning that because... Well, you know, I'm not a lady. So, uh, all right. Can, can I pray and then we'll get into the, today's message? Would you guys be all right with that? All right. Yeah, nobody said no. Well, somebody did, but uh, you said yo. Sounded like a no. I th- all right, here we go. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for today. And um, I thank you that you are so good. You know our hearts. You know what we've been struggling with. You know uh, what we're walking into this room with today. And I just pray, Father, for there to be a, a sense and an air of freedom here, that there would be hope that's brought into people's lives, that, that maybe they find um, that there's a path forward from things that they didn't think there was any path forward from. I love you very much, Jesus. I thank you so much for your gift of life. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. So I was thinking about New Year's resolutions. You guys have friends maybe that make these and do it, and they, or they come up with a list of goals, like these are my five goals about this before? I think it's this. Uh, We spend three months before New Year's just doing whatever the heck we want, right? And like, does anybody remember Halloween? You remember? It was three months ago. Remember Halloween? And and your kids go out, like you have all those little children who are terrorists who are like, trick or treat. I'm going to like do something bad to you if you don't give me candy. And you're like, ah! And, And you give these kids candy and then they take it home. And what do you do as a parent? You take parent tax, right? Like you, you get all the reasons, peanut butter cups, and you're sneaking butterfingers when they're not looking. And then and you get past that, and your, your kids are like, oh, they're like in a candy coma. And then you get to Thanksgiving, right? And Thanksgiving comes, and so like the next month, you are gorging yourself on turkey. So much. How many of you do this? You eat all the turkey and pie you can at Thanksgiving, and then you have to unzip your pants. Anybody been there? Like, yeah, I always thought that was weird. Like your uncles are all like, and they're like, and you're like, what is going on? And everybody watches football, right? But nobody's watching. They're all asleep, and you're like putting things in your uncle's nose, right? Like that—that's how my Thanksgivings were as a kid. And then you get to Christmas, and what do we do at Christmas? We don't just eat on December 25th or the 24th. How much of the month do you eat? All of it, right? You you just eat all month long. People are like, you have office parties and people are bringing in cakes and cookies. How many of you, when you get a gift of cake and cookies and sweets and stuff at Christmas, take it to the office? Anybody? Because we all know office people will eat it, right? And so you, you just are like everybody in the office, all like we're all just gorging for three months long. And then what happens? New Year's hits, and our bellies are all of a sudden flopping over the front of our pants, and we're like, 
I got to make a change, right? And we have New Year's resolutions. And every single year, you do the same thing over and over and over again. I joked about uh, that I used to go to my mother-in-law and father-in-law's house. And Jenny, is, she's not, is there, are there like 45? How many people are there at the 36 people. That's like a church, like a small church. It's not, right? 36 people in this house. There is so much sugar in the house. I gain two pounds a day while we're there just through osmosis. Just the sugar in the air like gets into my body and I start gaining weight the instant I step into their house. Like it's crazy how much, and we all, we all gain all this weight. And so here's what I was thinking about, because maybe for you, you're like, you're one of those slim trim people that I just like loathe. I'm like, ah, like Zach, you're skinny. Like, ah, come on, man. Like, and (laughs) sorry to point you out. (laughs) You're one of those skinny people. And I'm like, ah, how do you do it? I don't know. But maybe, so maybe the weight thing isn't for you, but you know what I'm talking about when I talk about the idea of temptation right? Because you are aware of what it feels like to be tempted to do something you're not supposed to do. So here's my question for you, because every one of, some of you, your temptation is to just explain, like, you have no other emotion except for anger, right? You, you know that person? Like, they're, 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 they should be happy. They're angry. They, they should be frustrated. They're angry, and every single emotion is anger, some of you, some of you, the temptation for you is not food. Some of you, the temptation for you is, oh, I don't know, like, like t- if, if I work more, I can make more money. And so you sacrifice everything on the altar of making more money. Do you know that person? Because, you know, in our culture, time is money. And so if you figured that out, you figured out that I could give my time to my kids and to my kids' basketball practices and their games, and I could give time to my family and to be in there for my wife, or I could use my time to make more money. And for you, the temptation isn't around food. It isn't around anger. It isn't around gossip. It's around giving yourself away to everything else to make yourself propped up and look successful and have a lot of money, and you sacrifice everything. Some of you have a a life that your eyes are spent focused on somebody that's not your spouse and uh, you struggle with a different kind of temptation. I'm not going to mention exact words because of children in here, but you know exactly what I'm talking about and your eyes are always focused on somebody who's not your spouse and you don't know how to get past it. So let me ask you this question. What do you do, human? Everybody's a human, correct? Right? If you're not, please come see me. We have counselors that go to church here. We can get you some help, right? <laughs> what do you do when you spent your whole life giving into temptation? Because this is you. You grew up with it. Don't you know? I, I, it's interesting watching your children grow up. If you have children or you've been around them, maybe you're an aunt or an uncle, uh, you watch children and nobody teaches them to give in to temptation. Nobody teaches them to sin. They just naturally, like, it's something we're all really good at, right? And you can, you can almost predict if you tell a kid not to touch something, what are they going to do? They're going to touch it, right? Why? Because we just have something in our bones that's wired to give in to temptation. So what do you do when you know that you don't want to be that person anymore? When you've come to the conviction that that's not who I want to be, how do you actually get past the temptation? This morning, what I want us to do is we're, we're going to go back and look at this snapshot of Jesus's life when he faced temptation. Did you know Jesus 
faced serious temptation, like real temptation. So we're going to look at Jesus facing serious temptation. And then I actually have a special guest that I'm going to invite up who's a little bit of an expert on kind of the subject of temptation. Uh, although I don't know that that's how he would frame himself, but I'm going to frame him that way. Uh, and then we're going, to, we're going to talk about temptation for just a few moments. And then I want to come back to kind of finishing the sermon off by giving you guys some real, something really practical to, today to do towards your temptation. Is that okay with everybody? Everybody good with that? All right, just say yes, Kent. It makes me feel good. All right, thanks. You guys are the best. All right, so here we go. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter four. If you don't have a goal for this year, your goal should be to open your Bible more than just on Sunday mornings, all right? Make that your goal. All right, here we go. Matthew four, this, we're gonna start in verse one. Listen to what, what, Jesus, what happens to Jesus. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. If I could real quickly set the picture for where this is, Jesus was just baptized by John the Baptist. This is at the very beginning of his ministry. He is going to be led into the desert, into the wilderness. And if you were in Jerusalem right today, you could stand on the Mount of Olives. You heard of the Mount of Olives? It's where the Garden of Gethsemane is. Jesus will be there at the end of his life. He spent a lot of time at the Mount of Olives. If you were on the Mount of Olives over here and you went down... There's a valley called the Kidron Valley, and you would go up to the Temple Mount over here. And you could literally, the two, you can stand and see each other. But if you're on the Mount of Olives and you go the opposite direction, you go over it, and when you think about a mountain, you need to think kind of like Eastern Kentucky mountains, all right? So big, good size, but not huge Rocky Mountains. You go over the other side of it, and, and there's a town called Bethany on the backside of the Mount of Olives. And then the moment that you leave Bethany, you are out in the Judean wilderness where Jesus is being led to. And it is not a wilderness like Daniel Boone was in. Like, like It's not trees and beautiful. It is just desert everywhere as far as you can look. It, it, it looks like the kind of place that if you, go, if you just go out there, you're going to die, let alone what Jesus is about to do. And Jesus is led. Listen, if you, if you think that being a Christian means that your life is always going to be comfortable and everything's going to be easy, you need to study the life of Jesus. Because the first thing that happens to him is he is led into the desert of death. <laughs> it's hard. But it's God who's leading them there because I think God has something for him. So listen, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by who? By the devil. <laughs> I know some of you are, well, I'm, I'm, I'm too educated to believe in the devil. Well, whatever, if you, that's fine. I'm not going to argue that today. But you do believe that there's evil in this world, right? And you have experienced temptation before in your own life, right? Where like you have... Not, I, I will never smoke another cigarette again. And then like five days later, you're like, <sighs> right? And because like you, you couldn't overcome the temptation because it felt like there was something pulling you back in. Jesus goes out into the desert wilderness and what's happening? He's being tempted by the devil himself. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, I need you to know, um, Jesus, 
have any of you fasted before? Has anybody in here fasted? Like maybe you've had, have you had the blood test where you have to fast from like nine o'clock at night to nine in the morning and, and nine 30 comes around and you're like, please just somebody put a McGriddle in my mouth. Right. And you're, you're like, I'm going to die if I don't eat right now. Like I can't make it another minute. Jesus, that's like 12 hours. Jesus has gone 40, 24 hour days, 40 of them. Day one, no eating, no eating. Not just no eating, but you're out in the desert. The only thing, literally, as we drove through this when we were in Israel, the only thing out there is occasionally there's these oases that are where springs come up out of the ground, and there are like some palm trees. I, I like to think that maybe Jesus found one of those, so he wasn't just like needing chapstick the whole time, like lips falling off, like that he found something like that, but I don't know. He's out in the wilderness. He's by himself in 40 days of not eating. I one time fast, I tried to do a 40 day fast one time. I made it 11 days. And I literally, I I was only drinking water because I was like, well, Jesus can do it. I can do it. Like, (laughs) I'm so dumb. Somebody smack me sometime. Like, you are dumb, Kent. Like, (laughs) and I'm, for, for 11 days, I didn't eat any food. And probably by like day seven, I got to where like, I, I didn't even think about food very much anymore. But by day like 10, 11, my heart started doing funky things. Like it started beating irregularly and I started freaking out. And so I did what every smart person would do. I drank juice because I was like, well, that'll make a lot of sense. And I drank juice thinking, oh, I just need some calories. And then like all my insides turned outside, you know, and it was over. I couldn't make it past day 11. I was done for. It was so hard, so hard. And Jesus makes it 40 days. And here's what I want you to get about this temptation, because you and I, if you fast for 40 days and you make it to the end and you, let's say you make it and somebody comes to you and says, uh, Kent, turn that, that stone into bread. I'd be like, <laughs> as if I can turn these $5 into Oreos though, please go over and get me some, get hit Kroger and get, right? Like that's how I would, ha- but I, I want you to understand for Jesus, he literally could change things at a molecular level if he wanted to. And he, this is a temptation for Jesus because he could have done it. He will do this something similar later on in his ministry. You know that, right? There will be a whole crowd of people who are hungry. And this time God has called him to it. And so Jesus will take a few loaves and a few fish and he will multiply them at a molecular level. He is changing the physical reality in order to feed a bunch of people. And he will do that. But in this moment where it's about him and where he's been called out into the desert by God himself, by the Holy Spirit, when Satan comes to him and asks him to turn the stone into bread, Jesus quotes from the the Old Testament. And he says, man, man doesn't live by bread alone. He lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And Jesus stands, stands against the temptation. So here's what, here's the gut punch to me about all of this. Jesus is not willing to step past what the father has called him to for a quick fix. And I'm telling you, that's a gut punch for me Because if I look at just about any sin in my life, it is a quick fix to get around what God wants me to have to go through. Your marriage, I was talking with some friends this week about how a great marriage is a really hard thing to, like, to curate and to create and to keep and to make. It takes a lot of work and effort. It's not easy. It's not easy at all. But it's so worth it. 
And there's something about Jesus that he knew the quick fix wasn't worth it. it is, I, I like to say it this way. Have you ever gone fishing? Anybody out there? Whoosh, whoosh, you're right? Everybody's with me on what fishing is, right? You do this and this a lot, right? You never get anything. You just pull about, <laughs> for me at least. When you fish, you know what the worm sees or the fish sees? All the fish sees is a worm, right? And temptation and sin, the way the devil portrays it is all worm and no hook. It's all worm and no hook until you bite. And then it's all hook, isn't it? The moment you bit, all you're dealing with is the hook and the pain and the suffering. But while, when you're in the moment, it's all worm. And I want you to hear this. Jesus is able in this moment where everything in him probably wants to eat. He's able to say, no, no, I trust the father more. I don't live just off of bread. My life is sustained by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So can I ask you this question? How often do we, do you or me, settle for a quick fix and miss what God is intending for us if we just held out? How often have you missed it? How often have you just given in a little too early? People uh, are most susceptible, I think, to temptation when they're tired, they're lonely, they're hurting. And and so there's a chance that you're sitting here and you're kind of a smart person and you're going, yeah, but Kent, you believe that Jesus was God. So like, (laughs) if he's God, then that's way easier for him to say no to it than it is for me, right? Like, isn't that, I mean, that kind of logically makes sense. But the problem is he was 100% God Yes, but he's also 100% human. He has the exact same desires inside of him, the exact same triggers, the exact same impulses. Everything in his body wanted to eat some bread right then. And I think Jesus is likely experiencing all those things, all of the tiredness, all of the loneliness, all of the hurting. 40 days is not just 40 days of him not eating. It's 40 days of him being completely isolated and alone. You ever tried to spend just like a few, some of you are like, oh, my dream is just to have a few days alone, right? Yeah, <laughs> please, Holy Spirit, I'm in for it, right? Like, <laughs> but some of you, like for me, I can't, I can't handle like five minutes alone. I'm like, I need somebody, I need people, I need people. But some of you, like 40 days, 40 days, that's where like loneliness, this deep loneliness, tired, like I'm guessing there was a fight. You know, at the end of this, the scripture says that angels came to care for him. Like, he was not in a good place physically at the end of this. He is physically deteriorated, and yet he never gives up. And so I wanted to ask you this question. What do you, what do you, what do, you do when you experience such, such deep temptations, when you are at your weakest? Do you just give in? What do you do? Because those moments are coming for you, aren't they? Could I, could I read something to you? This is a quote by C.S. Lewis. I, I love it. it it's, you're going to have to listen very closely. It's a little bit long, but it's so worth it, all right? Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. The guy who wrote The, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You know those books, right? Ooh, if you've never read his like, adult books, good night. You need to read them. He will transform your thinking. C.S. Lewis says this. No man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. All right, so get that in your mind. You don't really know how bad you really are until you've tried really hard to be good. This is what he says. A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. 
This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it. He was writing during World War II, not by giving into it. You find out the strength of the wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives into temptation after five minutes, this, this part hit me so hard. A man who gives into temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one, one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. When we never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. The only complete realist. So here's the question I want us to kind of be rolling around in our head. How do you go the distance when you're tempted? How do you go past five minutes and six minutes, past an hour, past two hours, to the point of not allowing the temptation to get a hold of you? That's the question, right? If we could figure out how to resist temptation, we wouldn't need New Year's resolutions, right? Like we wouldn't have screwed everything up and need to fix it all the next year. So how do you go the distance? I, uh, I want to, in a moment, invite, invite my friend up here to just ask a few quick questions um, because I was thinking, uh, I want to share something with you guys. I'm going to be a little vulnerable. Uh, when you guys know I'm overweight, I'm still overweight, right? Uh, my son, Simon, I showed him that if you, I, I told him when you lose weight, like your skin still sags. And I showed him that if you push on me, I'm real squishy. And so Simon comes up and he's like, whoop, whoop, all the time. Like he's always, he's like, this is fun, dad. And I'm like, yeah, stop it. It's not fun. All right. Uh, uh, I'm still very overweight, so I know I'm not done with my journey, but I need you guys to know, uh, when I came back from Israel last July, I kind of kept this secret, but I, I had gotten COVID while, uh, while I was in the airport or a little before that. I thought I just had allergies. I was allergic to something in Israel. I didn't know, because I was just like, my nose was running and stuff. But I think that, because it can cause some problems with your joints, we, we get to the airport, and I had to stand in the airport for four hours waiting to get on the plane. And uh, my knees got so bad that by the time we got back to the United States, I walked like the five minutes to my next airplane place where I had to wait, and I couldn't stand up for like the next three hours while we waited because my knees hurt so, like excruciating pain. We came home, and I would go to Kroger with Jenny, and we'd go inside, and we would be in there for maybe five or ten minutes, and I would turn to her, and I'd say, Jenny, I either need to go sit in the car or I'm going to be the fat guy on the scooter rolling around who has no obvious need for the scooter other than he's fat. And I was like, so I'm going to go sit in the car. Like, I, don't, my, I didn't want to be that guy. And, uh, and then it got so bad that I started having to crawl on all fours up our stairs because our bedroom was upstairs. And uh, it's embarrassing to have to say, but I, I would to come down the stairs. I would sit at the top of the stairs, and I would scoot down like a little kid to get to the bottom. You guys didn't know. I would come, and I'd preach, and I would pretend like I'd walk around up here and dance around like a monkey, you know, like I do, and, and, and I would try to sit as much as I could without drawing attention to it, and then I would go home, and for the rest of Sunday, I would put my legs up, and I couldn't do anything. I couldn't hang out with my family, be with my kids. My knees, I was just in excruciating pain, and I finally got to this point where I was like, I either do something about this or I'm going to be in a wheelchair in five years. 
not that that's the worst thing in the world, but like I could do something about it, right? It wasn't like I had to go that route. And so uh, I have a friend, David Birchfield. David, is that you over there? Will you stand up real quick? Uh, David has lost 150 pounds in the last year and a half or so. Yeah, will you guys give it up for David? Uh, incredible. And so you, you can take a seat. Thank you, David. So anyway, I, for for last year and a half, I would watch David lose all this weight, and I didn't want to actually ask him what he was doing because I didn't want to have to actually face it. And I finally asked him, and he said, well, I'm working with this guy, Trainer Joe, out of Lexington. And I got into the program thinking it was all going to be a diet. And there's elements that feel that way. But actually what happened was I realized he was helping address some of the thought patterns in my mind that led me to giving into temptation. And so uh, while Trainer Joe, by the way, you can come back tonight and hear from him about his program at 630, but that's not what we're doing this morning. What we're doing is just, we're going to have a quick interview real quick and talk about kind of temptation, because I feel like when it comes to food specifically, he's, he's really dialed in on this. And I think Everybody, like you all have, you're smart, right? Everybody? Okay, so you guys can apply this into the areas of temptation you guys struggle with, right? So would you guys give it up for Trainer Joe and welcome him to the stage? Let me grab a microphone for you. Hey, Joe, thank you. Thank you. Come on over. Appreciate you having me, and thanks for being vulnerable. Yeah, well, it's what I do. It's easier to do it in front of a lot of people instead of one-on-one. One-on-one. Yeah, yeah it's really hard, but I can tell all of you because nobody will come up and talk to me about it afterwards. But. <laughs> well, hey, I'm going to be a little vulnerable, yeah. too. Hey, did we go long in the first service? Yes. Okay, because it was just a short break. I barely could use the restroom yeah. between sides. So you need to go to the bathroom? One of us talked too much. Yeah, there. it was probably me. I'd, we'll go a little shorter. I'm going to ask a little few, few questions. Okay, but I'm going to add one thing. Yeah, hit it. Um, being vulnerable. This morning, we got up, and does your wife ever help you dress for church? No. Okay, so mine does me sometimes, yeah. and I had on my uh, my jeans and all, and I was getting ready to leave, and my wife said, uh, what are you wearing? And I said, well, these are my, my good jeans. I mean, they, they were just out of the dryer, yeah. so they may be a little tighter than normal. She said, she said, I, I think you ought to wear your other, you know, your more, your other Pants that you wear when you do programs and stuff, and I said, I, I said, actually, I kind of like them. I like the way they feel. I like the way they look. Unless you really feel strong, she said, I think you ought to change them. And I was, I was a little bit disappointed. And she said, think about it. She said, unless you know it's a young hip church, they're probably not appropriate. And then I look around. And I'm like, I should have worn my jeans. <laughs> I, I almost told you this is how I, I dress every worn Sunday. My jeans. Yeah. But anyway, now we're yeah. gonna go extra long. <laughs> Great. Thanks a lot, Joe. <laughs> All right, so I, I wanted to real quickly, um, I've heard you talk about Jesus in this passage before of the temptation, and I felt like when you talked about it, I kind of learned something that I had just never thought about. So I wondered if you could share that in a way that uh, would help everybody else kind of... Yeah, and I've got it on my phone yeah. in, a, in a slightly different version as you were reading it. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking about that. So yeah, Jesus led by the Spirit. This is New American Standard, uh, t- to be tempted, and it says... And after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And I'd heard that preached a lot. But, but then when I started doing what I do now, over 10 years ago, I started looking at it slightly differently. And one thing in particular was it says, in, in all these versions I read it in, it was after 40 days he became hungry. And it makes the, and even in this one you can touch on it and it kind of clarifies, it says, or 
afterward became hungry. Mm, yeah. Right? So in the, when you're reading it, it says after he had fasted, he became hungry. And I looked, at, looked it up in about six different versions, and it always says afterward, after 40 days. So it was like, well, what happened during the 40 days? Surely he was hungry then. But yeah. what I think is happening there is we get hungry when we miss a meal and we realize it. And, and a lot of people have done the keto. Um, would you raise your hand if you've ever done keto before? Why are we doing keto? Because we want to be in ketosis. We want to burn the fat. So if you, if you stop eating, you miss a couple of meals, then your body says, what else you got? You know, you haven't eaten a meal for a while. And it said, well, I got this fat on my body. And we begin to burn that. And that's, that's ideal. That's, we're made to do that. So what happened to Jesus? Well, he went through that. And he actually, in the 40 days, I believe, he consumed all of the fat. Yeah. And then once, once it's all gone, we go into another phase. And I believe he was at that phase. And what is that phase? Well, we, once we burn all the fat on our body, then we go into something that would be called starvation. Right. And now we're literally dying. And you mentioned he was a man. In his uh, humanity, I believe he was dying. Yeah. And he would have died had he not eventually eaten something. And that's when the enemy said, why don't you turn these stones into bread and you know, we would have to think about that. Certainly if it was us, it might be a good idea at this point. Now, when we're dealing with this and what we talk about in the program is we're not talking about starving. Right. We're talking about, you know, I'm used to eating right now. Maybe it'd be okay. I feel kind of funny right now. Should I eat something? He was literally would eat anything. Yeah. When you get to that point, you'll eat anything. Yeah. And that's when he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. How can he do that, yet we struggle when we miss a snack? And I think part of that is his identity. He was pretty secure in knowing, I am Jesus. God is my Father, and he sustains me, and you won't have anything to do with when I eat. And and I, I think that's cool. And I think we need to get something out of that in how we respond to difficulties and temptation. And some of that is clearly our identity and how sure are we that, you know, I'm his child. Jesus is my friend. And we, when we come out of it instead of, Oh, I'm just, I can't, that's part of how I look. Yeah, that's really good. How, how do you, so, so many of us are I've said this to you guys before. You get to see my sin on the outside of my body like I wear it. Some of you have sins that you can keep hidden and nobody knows about it. But regardless of what the sin is, we a lot of us feel beholden to that. Um, what do you think kind of keeps people beholden to, whether it's food or, you know, you can talk from, that's kind of your specialty, so it's okay to talk from that and we can apply it out. But what, what keeps people beholden to those, those sins and, and that temptation, like giving into it in your mind? One of the things I think is because of what we know. We know that if I have this drink, this is going to happen. If right. I eat this, this is going to happen. I'll feel good. When I smoke relax. this, yeah. this is going to happen. Right. And we know. There's, there's no doubt. And it's pleasure. Yeah. It's, it's gratification. And, and I think God made food for for that, yeah. but we begin to do it wrong and we begin to abuse something and then we've got that problem. So I think we do that. And I, I remember I was uh, reading about uh, temptation, uh, knowing you were going to talk about <laughs> it this morning. 
And Moses, he chose, he talks about in Hebrews, rather than um, enjoying the, and I I can't remember the exact wording of it, but the the sin. Yeah. He chose with the godly people to forsake that. And it it mentioned this momentary. You know, he he said, I'm not going to choose this momentary pleasure, this momentary sin. Instead, I'm going to. Do, do what's right with the godly people. And then it went on to say, why? Right. Because of the reward. And I don't believe we're convinced about the reward that's to come. Yeah. You know, and it, and it may just be tomorrow we're rewarded. You know, we, we know that in eternity we have reward, but there's even reward, you know, when we go to the doctor. He says, wow, you, you lost 20 pounds. Right. And that's, there's a reward there, but... That's not as sure as the feeling we get in the moment. And, and our culture doesn't help because our culture says, that's right. That's good. Yeah. You deserve it. You've earned it. And so we, we have to fight against that. And, and I think we need some training to get beyond that, which a lot of us aren't, aren't aware that we even need that. Yeah, it reminds me of Jacob and Esau. Do you guys know that story? Jacob and Esau in the Old Testament. Esau's out. He's been hunting and stuff. He comes back. He's famished. He's hungry. Probably like wasn't like they had refrigerators. Jacob's like, hey, I'll cook some soup if you trade me your birthright. And we, we joke about this in our family all the time. I'm like, are you going to really trade your birthright for that? Because my kids will do this with each other. They'll like trade something way better for the lesser thing that the person wants. But it's that immediate gratification, the immediate reward. And I feel like specifically as Americans, if you haven't identified that our culture is tuning you for instant gratification, you need to identify that. And I'm not just talking about with food. It's with sex. It's with money. It's with stuff that you have. Like um, Amazon, there's a reason they don't show you how much you spent on the item that you bought. And you have like lines of items and you can just look and go, yeah, I remember buying all that. If you start, if you could see how much you spent, you probably would spend less, but we want the instant gratification of it all. And we're, we're not willing to wait for the bigger reward of what it would look like if we saved the money or didn't eat the thing or didn't, or focused on our, our family first or whatever. So that's really good. The last question for you. And um, what are some things uh, that you think everyone needs to think about in their life uh, when it comes to overcoming temptation? Like, you know, you help a lot of people with this when it comes to food. What are some things that maybe make them successful or that you focus on that, yeah. Yeah, well, to be clear, this is my, this is my area. Right. Right, and um, sometimes my wife will say, you know, you make it sound too easy because this isn't your struggle. And I'm like, you know, I've had so many struggles. Yeah. And uh, issues where I've needed help and where I've needed uh, discipleship and where I've needed accountability that I'm yeah. kind of transferred that over to something that I seem to be naturally pretty good at, yeah. but there's a lot of things that I'm not, and, and I've needed help, and I've needed accountability, and I've needed training, and to the extent that I said I don't want that, because I'm kind of a guy that likes doing it on my own. Uh, I was working on a cabinet, and my wife said, well, why don't you call Mike, come over and help you, and I'm like, last thing I want to do is call Mike, come yeah, over and help right. I want to do this by myself. Right. You know, I can do it. I can handle it, and that sometimes will slow you down, and, it's, and it can be a prideful thing. That, that I've had to work with. So one of the things with this area that our culture says is fine, it's good, there's nothing wrong, is, it, and, and I'll have people talk to me, maybe just a casual meeting, and I'll meet them for the first time or whatever, and, the, and they'll ask me what I do, and I say, you know, I'm a health and weight loss coach and help people lose weight, and they'll say, oh, you know, I, I could use your help. Well, they rarely mean it. Yeah, right, right. I right. could use your help. I could I, use your help. I have to go, see you later. Right. And, 
And then they'll even say, if we talk a little longer, they'll say, you know, I, I know I need to do something, but really, I know what to do. They'll say, I know what to do. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, what am I supposed to say to that? I know what to do and I'm failing. Yeah. (laughs) Something is missing. Right. Right. What is missing there? And that's the thing. Do you want to know? Do you want to be well? And so the the next thing is you, if you really want it, you know, it's going to be something that's not happening right now. And I think oftentimes, and I, I heard somebody say recently, and I thought that's good, that's true. And it was the path to transformation comes through discipleship. Yeah. I don't want to be discipled. Right. You know, I just want God to tell me I know what to do. Well, no, you might need training. You might need discipleship. You might need a renewed mind, not in just this area over here that you've been struggling with, but in this. I've had friends and family that said this is one of the hardest things I've had to do and lose weight. And they say, and I've never prayed about it. Yeah. I've never even asked God to help me, much less gone through a program or been discipled or had somebody that's doing well walk alongside of me to help me through that. So it, it seems pretty clear why it's difficult. We don't, we don't tend to do that in this area like we do in other areas. Right. I, had, I have a buddy who was talking about, you know, the scripture says that God won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. If you don't know, that's what the scripture says. And he said, most of the time, the solution to that, that temptation, the thing that he's not, he's going to provide you the way out is going to be through another person. It's not going to be through you bucking up and just, oh, I can do this. But there is something about engaging with a person, engaging with a community. And I, to be honest, I never looked at my weight as a discipleship issue, but it really was. It was still a temptation that I was giving into constantly. And I wasn't thinking about it as part of my spiritual life. And it's been interesting, like, including that and taking some of the things that I know when it comes to, like, when people come into my office and need counseling about, finances or whatever area that they struggle with, taking those things and applying that. Like I, I, all the time while you're, I'll be like, oh yeah, I, I know to say that to other people about other stuff, but I haven't applied that into my own discipleship in this area. And it, it is interesting. Like, I don't know if you guys know this, but what the scripture talks about is eternity will be a physical environment. Did you know that? Like the heaven that you go to after you die right now is just until Jesus returns. And then he's going to recreate a new heaven and a new earth, and you'll have a physical body. So learning to take care of that even really is, there's a piece of that that's a spiritual discipleship of learning to have self-control, even in that area where in our culture, ain't nobody telling me I'm fat because no, we're all nice. And, we, <laughs> and it feels wrong in our culture, and, uh, but I needed it. So, yeah. I'm willing to take that <laughs> That's that's what I love about Joe is he'll be like, no, stop eating that. But only if you sign up. I never <laughs> do right. that unless you right. sign up. Then you've given me permission to yeah. help you in that. Y'all way. are yeah. safe. So, uh, <laughs> hey, will you guys give it up for Joe? Thank you so much, Joe. I appreciate it. Yeah, really appreciate it. Uh, so, I, one of the things that I do love about about Joe is uh, that he's willing to say hard things to us. Um, and it, when you're in that group, he doesn't sugarcoat it. Uh, because you gain weight if it was sugar-coated. But yeah, he, he <laughs> you're like, that's a stupid joke, Kent. Uh, he doesn't sugarcoat it. He says the hard things, and I've really appreciated that uh, because our culture doesn't like hard things. Have you learned that? Like, we don't like people telling us that's a bad idea. You shouldn't do that. There's consequences to that action. And, and for some reason, we're okay not telling people that on the front end, and then they go through it, and they're experiencing the consequences, and they have no, no clue why. They're like, I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why our finances are in 
are all messed up. I don't, well, because you overspent. I don't know why my marriage is in shambles. Well, it's because you, you weren't treating it like it mattered, right? Like all these things, we don't tie the consequences. And it is important for us to start to become the kind of people who are okay with the hard things. So most of us, I think, avoid hard things because it makes us uncomfortable. But hard things, you know this, hard things are what help you grow. This is what we tell our children all the time, at least in my family, that I don't want to go to practice. Well, you got to go to practice because if you want to be good, you have to put in the time, right? You have to do the hard thing. And so I wanted to just end with, I'm going to read one scripture, tie it real quickly into our lives, and then I want to end by giving you guys a practical, you're going to stand up and we're going to go do something, all right? Listen to this. This is James chapter 4 verse 7 through 10. Now, you have probably heard these verses before, at least some of them, and you've probably heard a few of them, and they've been really nice to you, and they've left out the hard part, because James is going to punch us all. He says this, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And you've heard that before, if you've been in church very much. Oh, that's good. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and you're like, oh, that's good stuff. Preach, preach, right? And then he's going to say this, come near to God, and he will come near to you. And you're like, oh, that's so beautiful. Like, oh, what if we put that on our wedding invitation? Come near to God, and he'll come near to you. And then he says this, wash your hands, you sinners. (laughs) Right? Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. You know what a double-minded person is? They're the person who's like, well, I, I'll do that. Oh, I don't know. Maybe I'll do this. No, but I should do that. But I, maybe I should do that. But I'll do that. But I, I want to really do this. They're double-minded. They're always doing two things all at once. Listen to what he says. He's gut-punching us. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Why does he want you to grieve, mourn, and wail? It's not that he wants everybody to be sad. It's that he wants you to be a realist who looks at your life and actually recognizes a lot of the consequences of sin in your life. Do you know that the scripture says that the the wages of sin, the payment of sin, do you know what it is? It's death. It is death. And if you feel like you're experiencing little bits of death in your life all the time, my guess is, is that you are living in the midst of sin without recognizing the consequences of sin. You are thinking all worm and really all you're getting is hook. Get it? And James is trying to get us to sober up for a minute. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Sometimes I think there should be more weeping in church services. Not because somebody's emotionally manipulated you into that point, but because we've come face to face with a holy God. And we look at how unholy and righteous our life is and we go, ah, I just need you desperately, Jesus. And we weep. Then he says this, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. And then he says the part that people will read again. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you Listen, the only way to to overcome temptation, the only way to do it is to really exchange your lies for truth. You have any of these destructive things that you've been living out, there's a lie underneath them. That's one of the things that I've loved that Joe talks about in his his program is that uh, underneath all those destructive habits and destructive things that you are engaging in, there is some lie that you've been believing. What is it? Is that you're not good enough for anybody else, so you might as well give yourself to everybody else? Is it that, that you 
You are worthless except for when you're making money and working hard and being successful. And your kids someday, they'll thank you for how hard you worked. Guess what? They're going to spit on your grave because you weren't there ever. Kid, that's harsh. Yeah, but it's probably reality. Some of you feel that way about your own mom and dad, right? What is it for you that's the lie you've bought into and been believing that has been dictating your belief system? You ch- Jesus said this. He said, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. I love it because what he says is make the tree good. You want to change the fruit of what's happening in your life. You don't try to change the fruit. You change the root. You change out the tree. So if you've been believing some lie that's been leading to certain fruit in your life, this is the solution for you. You need to start to implement a truth into your life that overcomes that lie. And what is the truth going to be? So here's what I want to do. In a moment, we're going to partake in communion like we normally do. If you're new to to Harmony, uh, I know this is a little bit different week. We're going to sing two songs, so you have time during both of these songs to go. Uh, But there... There's communion at the sides of the room that you can go and partake of. Celebrate Jesus' death and his resurrection and his body broken for you, his blood shed for you. But at the same time, what I want to invite you to do is at the cross and up on this black speaker, there's several pieces of paper. There's pens all around. I want to invite you to come up and take two pieces of paper. On one of the pieces of paper, I want you to write the lie that you've been believing. What's the lie that you've said over and over about yourself. I will never, for me, it was I'll never be skinny. I will never. I I really believe that. I I was thinking about the, I can remember the first session with Trainer Joe where I turned to Jenny and I I was like, I think I'm going to choose to believe that I could be more because I, 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 I told the first service, I went into his program being like, I'm going to cheat. Like that was, I went into it thinking, I'm going to cheat. And by the end of it, I turned to Jenny and I said, I'm not cheating because I believe that I can do this. I really believe it. I've sold my fat clothes. I believe it, right? Like there's action that's happening. So what is a lie that you've been living that you could transplant with a truth? It doesn't have to be this big spiritual thing, but it could be. What I would really encourage you to do is when you come to the cross, probably there's some sin that's in your head right now that you struggle with. And just write down the sin and write, start writing. You don't have to get to the bottom of it today, but start writing what are some of the lies that it might be. What might it center around? And then I want you to fold that up, crumple it up, whatever you want to do. Leave that at the cross and take another piece of paper and pray and ask God to start putting a truth into your head that you can walk away with. Like it may be, you'll never let me be tempted beyond what I can bear. It may be, I, need, I, I don't have to do this on my own. Ask Jesus to put it in your heart. Jesus, what do you want me to hear? Jesus, what do you think about me? Have you ever asked him that question? Have you ever asked him, Jesus, do you love me? I know you believe it for everybody else, but maybe you don't believe it for you. Maybe you're too bad. Maybe your history is too too sordid. Ask him. I remember the day that I asked him, and I just felt a very simple little voice in my heart that said, I love you lots. I just wept. I just wept. What if you started to find some truths like that? Open your scripture. Start, look, get on Google and look for scriptures about your sin that you're struggling with. 
promise you, you, there's ways to find this stuff, but write down a truth, and then I want you to put that in your pocket and take it with you. Do you guys do that for me? If, if you need to, you can put it up on the wall and write. You don't have to bend over or squat if you can't do that. I'm overweight, and that would be very hard for me. So, but do it, okay? Uh, hey, I love you guys. I, I want to invite you to stand with us. We're going to sing.